I was wounded by the Bible this week. Funny story. Actually, uh, Hunter, can we do that? Do a close-up shot? Okay. I don't know if you can see this or not. I'll see, see that, that uh, mark on my nose? Can you see that? Okay. Okay. Silly story. We, we don't need to do the close-up anymore. Okay, thanks. But um, so earlier this week, I was, I was filming this goofy little uh, YouTube short um, or, or Facebook reel, all the little things uh, that was trying to, uh, well, get people thinking about the message today about where did the Bible come from. And so I, was try- I, I thought it was clever, but I, I was going to make the point of that, you know, the Bible didn't magically fall out of the sky. So I'm, I'm out and I'm, I'm filming. I got the little camera there and I'm doing, trying to do this shot where I, you know, I throw the Bible up and I kind of catch it so that it kind of looks like it just fell out of the sky and I got sound effects and the whole deal. Anyways, so I, I did about three takes of this. And, and one thing you need to know about me is though I like being active, nobody has ever recruited me for a softball team for a really good reason. Like the, I, when it comes to like throwing things, I am... Bad, <laughs> just bad. So, so I, I, ta- I throw a Bible up in the air to, 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 you know, to try to catch it. And about the second time I do this, I, it just it whacks me in the face. <laughs> so, so I'm getting hit by this Bible. Catch it? Didn't I just thought? Oh, that was that was funny. It wasn't until later, as I'm editing this video, that I realized I'm bleeding from the nose. <laughs> like, anyways. So, uh, anyways, I, I can I can now say that this week I was wounded by the Word of God. Um, but the real inspiration for, we're doing a little, like it's a two-week series called Asking for a Friend, um, actually comes out of um, some of the interviews I've been doing recently with people who really do feel like they've been wounded by the church. Uh, one of the parts, th- this, this has been an unexpected pleasure in the, in the dissertation uh, that I'm, dissertational process that I'm in. Uh, because the, the whole project I'm working on is just trying to better understand the stories of those who were raised in the church and by their young adult years are no longer practicing their faith. And I've just been blown away with the really honest... Uh, I, would, I, I think of those moments as sacred conversations. Just to, just to sit down over coffee or over Zoom or whatever, or a phone call, and... I've just been blown away with how honest people are and just been able to hear some, some pretty powerful stories. And one of the themes that came out of that um, is, is, the, is the number of folks who said that in their church experience growing up, whether it was said out loud or they just kind of caught it because it was just implied, it was the idea that, that we... And if you really are a faithful Christian, you don't ask questions. And, and people feeling like they had these big questions about the faith, but they didn't know how to ask them. Um, and, and, and so I kind of wanted to poke a hole in that. <laughs> because one of the best things about Christianity is how much it invites questions. And we're going to go into that as it, pertaining to one of the questions that people ask is, you know, so where did the Bible come from and why do Christians make a big deal about it? So next week, we're going to look at the question, Christianity seems very exclusive. Why are you all so narrow-minded? 
There's some good answers to that question. Um, then after that, we are going to move into our, our winter series, our connection group series. We're going to be a, doing a journey through um, some of the parables of the kingdom of God in the book of Luke. So we'll spend six weeks there, and then we'll come back to this Asking for a Friend series um, for a couple of weeks before we get ready to head into Easter. And the reason I bring that up is I want to hear your questions. So if, you've, if, if there's something you've wondered about, or maybe there's a friend of yours, and like this is just one of those, like, we want to talk about this. Um, write those questions down in the connection card or in the comments on, in, in, if you're joining us online or um, if you got onto our message notes. I mean, there's, a, there's loads and loads of ways to send, send, send input. We read everyone. So if there's a question for you, um, or for a friend of yours. Let's talk about it. And I also want to provide a bit of an opportunity uh, tonight um, in the cafe room. So that's, that's a, one of the rooms off our south hallway down that way. Um, it's just to do a Q&A. So 6.30 to 7.30, 8, whatever. Well, I won't take it past 8 just so that, uh, well, because I'm old and I like to sleep. But... Uh, just to just, but to kind of do a Q&A, like questions about the Bible, all that kind of stuff. The other piece that I, I want to make you aware of is I wrote a bit of a summary article that, that accompanies this message that has like uh, reference notes and ways that you can go deeper into various resources and Wikipedia and all the stuff. Um, because, uh, you know, today is going to be a bit of, some of the message is going to be for our heads. We're going to have our nerd, can you put your nerd hat on for me? All right, because we're going to be we're going to be using our heads and we're going to be using our hearts and we're going to see how the two link. But we are going to do some. We're going to do what I like to refer to, lovingly refer to. I'm a proud nerd. Um, some nerd work today. We're going to do some nerd work. Um, uh, anyway, so but br- br- bring your questions, all those kinds of things, and we'll talk about those. Oh, and then yes, and so there's an article. Um, if you are joining us online, if you look in the show notes, it's the first link. So click on that. It'll open up this fairly large article. If you received one of the little bulletins this morning, okay, there's, there's, a, there's a hyperlink there. There's also a QR code that'll just take you right there. If you're following along on the Bible app right now, click on the second link down. You will, it'll open up. You'll see it. So, um, but I want you to have some place where you can go back to the to kind of the high points uh, where you can cross-reference, where you can ask questions. So, first thing, well, three, three goals I have for today. Number one is just a model that it's okay to ask questions. Christianity is a faith that invites inquiry. I want you to think about, if you've ever read the Gospels, how many times the disciples asked Jesus questions and how Jesus never turned them away for it. He never said, just have faith. Now, he did sometimes get exasperated when they asked the same question several times. But he, he, he never condemned someone for having, having questions or even doubts. God is bigger than doubt. Doubt is a part of faith. It is part of developing faith. You have to ask questions in order to discover, like I think we're going to discover today, at least relative to the question of the Bible, that there actually are some really solid answers. 
So that's the first goal, just to, just to let us know that we can, it's okay to ask questions. It is okay, it's good to ask questions. And secondly, that, that maybe this is a question you've wondered about. We, we, we talk all about the Bible. We love the Bible here. We read it every week. We say it's the God's word and the only perfect rule for faith, doctrine, and conduct. Or, we've all got these faith statements about the Bible. But maybe you've wondered, like, so why? Why? Or maybe you really do have a friend that's asked some of these questions. And I want you to be equipped to have better conversations than just, well, God said so. Or it's God's word that settles it. And though on some level that is true, there's actually a whole lot more to it. There's, it is, there's a much more substantial answer that you can give. So, with all that, you're, you're ready to dive in with me? Yes. Okay. So, where did the Bible come from? Here's one of, one of the places the Bible did not come from. The Bible did not magically fall out of the sky. I've been wounded for making that point. The Bible didn't magically fall out of the sky. And that is actually one of the ways where Christianity contrasts with some of the other major religions of the world. If you were raised Mormon or you have Mormon friends, the story of the Book of Mormon is, it's not necessarily that it fell out of the sky, but it's pretty darn close. You know, the side that Joseph Smith discovered these golden tablets, and then an angel came to tell him to translate those tablets. Nobody gets to see the tablets. There's no you know, record of these tablets. But, but after it was been translated, you know, the, the angel helped to, tr- to translate these tablets, helped Joseph Smith to translate these tablets. There it is. And that settles it. Similar thing for the Quran. Uh, Muhammad was visited over, uh, what was it, a 23-year um, a, a span, the story goes, by an angel that, that you know, recited the words of God's, of the, the words of the Quran to him. And it's in Arabic, and that settles it. So just read it and believe it. And the Christian story is, it's different than that. And, and for some of us, we actually find that a little disappointing. We sort of wish there was, it, was just, it felt more miraculous. But what we're going to come to discover as we go through this together is that the way that God transmitted his word to us is the way that he also, also most often works in the world, where the Holy Spirit works through people, works through people together to accomplish God's work. Where it's not just one person, it's multiple. It's not just one location, it's over time. God works through people. It's his number one way of impacting the world. That's why the local church is God's plan A for making a difference in the world. Now, so it didn't fall out of the sky, but here's here's where it did come from. So um, the... Well, the the Bible is in two main sections. You've got what we often refer to as the Old Testament, or I'm going to refer to it as the Hebrew Bible because it was uh, God's word given to the Hebrew people. Um, And the story is largely about God's interaction with the Hebrew people over time. And it was written in, guess what? Hebrew. 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 So here is what that... 
Well, in the moment, when the air is really dry, our screens get funky. All right, this is what, um, the, what Hebrew looks like. This is actually from the Dead Sea Scrolls. You read it from right to left, um, different characters, all those kinds of things. But Hebrew looks a lot like that. Now, um, the Bible as we know it, um, well, it's, uh, so it's regarded by the Jews as being inspired and authoritative. And maybe even more importantly to us as Christ followers is this is that this was Jesus's Bible. This was Jesus's Bible. So when Jesus refers to the scriptures, that's what he's referring to. These words that were that have been passed down and, and the, the history of the Old Testament seems to have been written over about a 2,000 year period, started with oral tradition, but more over time, more and more and more of it went into print. All of it was in print by the time of the Babylonian exile because they were worried that their culture would just be destroyed by the Babylonians. So they started to write everything down. And what matters to us is that this is, this is Jesus' Bible. This is how Jesus came to understand who he was as the Messiah. This is how Jesus related to God. This is how Jesus worshipped. And to a certain degree, for us as Christians, you know, the reason why we hold the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, as God's word, as inspired and authoritative, is because if it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. So that's our number one reason for holding on to the Old Testament. And here's the other part that's really interesting. And why discoveries like the Dead Sea Scrolls are so fascinating. So the Dead Sea Scrolls, um, in, I think this was a discovery in the 50s or the 60s, but the, the carbon dating for the Dead Sea Scrolls goes right back to the time of Jesus, to, in, from the Qumran community. So just a few miles outside of Jerusalem. Like this is, we have archaeological evidence from the very same region and the very same time span of what God's word was at the time. And the thing that is just wonderful for us is it hasn't changed. And we get to, we get to dig up the archaeology and go, wow, the Hebrew that we see in the Dead Sea Scrolls is virtually, thank you, virtually identical to the Hebrew that we use now as we translate the Old Testament from Hebrew into whatever language it's getting translated into. That's also, one, by the way, one of the reasons why we have multiple English translations. Not because God's word is changing, but because the English language is changing. So we need to continually have new translations and new ways of talking about it because our terminology, it changes over time. You know, the same phrases if you're raised in the 60s or 70s that you use to describe something. You don't get to use those phrases anymore. It means different things over time. So we need different translations. So, so it was written, written in Hebrew. The Jews uh, regarded it as inspired and authoritative. Jesus regarded it as inspired and authoritative. One of the ways we see that in the, in the, is examples like uh, Matthew chapter 22, verse 29. It's a passage where the Pharisees, or the Sadducees rather, are trying to stump Jesus about marriage. And um, Jesus said this. You are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. So Jesus was referring to the Old Testament scriptures as he was refuting something that the Sadducees were saying. 
It also brings up an important point about the scriptures. We can take the verse down, thanks. Um, is that we can know the scripture and yet not properly understand the scripture. Jesus was talking to a group of people who had, uh, well, for the Sadducees, they, they focused the, their, they didn't listen as much to the, to the, to the, the prophets, but they were, they were fully, fully invested in the first five books of the Bible, had them memorized the Pentateuch, and um, they knew it. They knew it backwards and forwards. They had it thoroughly memorized, and yet they totally missed the point. And that should be, um, well, that's helpful for us to know, and it also should be humbling to us. That just because we make claims, and, and we do as Christians, we make claims that this is inspired by God, this is authoritative. Um, some denominational trans, uh, uh, like faith statements, which even use terms like inerrant. And I would affirm that overall. It's an in, inerrant. That doesn't mean that every thought that we have about it is authoritative. Or every thought that we have about it is inerrant. God's word is authoritative and perfect and we are flawed. And it's quite possible to read the text of something and miss the context of something. Have you ever had a situation where you sent a text to somebody and you thought it was just a funny statement or you're just kind of, you know, you, you thought they totally get it, but then you realize they totally missed it? We all have had that. That can happen with God's word as well. And it's not a problem with God's word. It's in a pro our inability to receive it fully. So we need to come to God's word with a, with a humility. Okay. So Jesus regarded the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, as authoritative. Some of the other things that are really interesting about, about the Old Testament is that it is, I mean, even general archaeology has confirmed its historicity. I'm going to talk today about two things I especially love about our Bibles. One of them is this, the maps. Now, if you've got a paper Bible, see if, a lot of them have maps in the back. See if you can find a map. Mine actually doesn't, but many of them do. See if you can find a map in there. One of the best things about the Bible, and not every quote-unquote holy book out there has this, is that it is, it is linked to specific geography and to specific history. So when we read the, the, the Hebrew Bible, when we read the Old Testament, and we read about, for example, the Philistines, and here's generally where the Philistines lived, is we can go and we can dig up artifacts of the Philistines in the places where the Bible said they were. Talks about the stories of ancient Egypt. We can visit Egypt. Some of you have. There's a, there's a historicity about the Old Testament. Even if I mean, obviously, there's going to be skeptics who disagree about particular things, and other countries' histories may not record it the same way that the Israelites recorded their history. That's to be expected. But there's a general historicity about the Bible. There are maps. You can go there. You can visit places. They really exist. There's, there's archaeological artifacts for real. This is not, it is not a make-believe world. It's a book that is grounded in geography and it's grounded in history. 
the early church also regarded the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, as inspired and authoritative. We read about that in passages like 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All Scripture, Paul writes, is God-breathed. This is Paul before he was realizing that he was writing Scripture. All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, it is true that there are some parts of the Bible that are, from our perspective, probably a little harder to read. There are some parts that are a little dull. Some long lists of names that, for the most part, doesn't make a lot of sense to us, especially when you read it at first. There's some parts that are a little bit confusing. But all of it matters. And as Christians, just like the same reason, we, the reason, number one reason we read the Hebrew Bible, we read the Old Testament, is because it was Jesus' book. This was Jesus' Bible. Is we also come into the scriptures um, recognizing that Jesus is the key to understanding the Bible. We don't try to come into it as these like totally objective people because nobody is. Nobody is objective. Rather, as Christians, we come in and, and read God's word, especially the Old Testament, especially the Hebrew Bible, especially the parts that to us may not make sense right away. We read it through the lens of the Gospels, through the lens of who Jesus is and what Jesus said. Here's why. Because Jesus claimed to be, that's why he was crucified for this, he claimed to be God incarnate. Whoever has seen the Father has seen me. I and the Father am one. Before Abraham was born, I am. And every time Jesus said things like this, the people around him just went absolutely berserkoid because they knew what he was claiming. They knew what he was saying. And, and through Jesus' resurrection, that actually validates what Jesus said. As crazy as that claim would have sounded when, when he first said it. It validates that claim. And if Jesus is God incarnate, if Jesus is God in a bod, God in human flesh, then when we look at Jesus and how Jesus treated people, how Jesus responded to things, what Jesus cared about, what we are, what we are discovering there is how God sees people, how, what God cares about, how God responds to things. Now, even the, the, the phrase that's commonly used in the early church, Jesus is Lord, um, Christos Ekurios. Jesus is Lord, is not only uh, like to say that Jesus is the master of my life, but like, you know how in the Old Testament, when you're reading it and you see the words Lord capitalized all the time? Because that was, that was a link to the sacred name, to Yahweh. We talked about this a few weeks back. When that, when that word gets, gets, gets used in, the, in, in Greco-Roman culture, it also means it carries that same, that's the same weight of the holy name with it. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is my master. And Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus is God. So Jesus is our key to understanding the Bible. 
We don't try to come in objective. We come in through the lens of Christ. So if you're starting off in your faith, the very, very best thing for, for, for you, for me, to us to do is to get to know Jesus. Read the Gospels first. Read the stuff in red. Get to know Jesus. He's the key to everything. So the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, ultimately points us to Jesus. It records a couple of thousand years of, of, of Hebraic history, all of it pointing to their anticipation of the Messiah. And then we move to the Christian Bible, often called the Greek Bible, because it was written in, you'll never guess, Greek. Greek, right. Christian Bible, the Greek Bible, the New Testament, that helps us get to know who Jesus was and the church that got founded in his name. And here's also where the archaeology gets really interesting. So, New Testament written in Greek. Let's put an example of Greek up. This, this time it is um, like we read from left to right. This is actually a, a, a picture from the Codex Vaticanus, which is one of the earliest complete manuscripts of the New Testament that we have. And here's one of the things that is just so cool about the Christian Bible, is that there are... So the Codex Vaticanus is one of the early versions of the Bible that we have. This case, it goes back to about the uh, 4th century, early in the 300s. We have fragments that are much... You can take that down, but thank you. Fragments that are much, much, much earlier. 5,800 plus fragments. Now, here's what we don't have. And sometimes people get in a bit of a knot about this. Is, to the best of our knowledge, we don't actually have any original copies of the Gospels or original copies of like Paul's letters and things like that. We don't have original copies. And sometimes people go like, well, well we need to see the original copies. Well, here's why they're not there. Is if you received a real, when you receive a really, really great letter, what do you do with it? You keep it, and what else do you do with it? You pass it around. You pass it around. You share it. And so as the scriptures were, were being read, like so, for example, Paul writes this, this, this letter to the church in Corinth, and they've... There's some great things happening in Corinth, but there's some horrible things happening in Corinth as well. And so he gives them this really practical advice about how to live out the Christian faith. And it wasn't initially written as, like, he, Paul wasn't necessarily thinking that he was writing scripture. He was just trying to write this to help out a church. And in the process of providing advice for a church, God is inspiring his words. So the church in Corinth receives it and goes, wow, this is incredibly helpful. Not just for us, but they, then they pass it on to the next village and the next village and the next village. They start making copies of it because it was that good. Like you see that really great post. I mean, I realize we, we have a hard time getting our heads wrapped around this because we, uh, you know, we live in a generally digital culture rather than a paper culture. But it used to be <laughs> that most of our writing wasn't like our communication was paper based. So you get this really great article. So first thing you do, if you had access to a photocopier, is you'd make copies of it. You start passing it around. So we have all these early copies 
To the best of our knowledge, we don't have any of the originals. The originals probably got worn out. Because, like, if you can just imagine receiving a, something as incredible and, and helpful as the Gospel of Matthew or Mark or Luke or John, you wouldn't go, wow, this is great. I should put this in a museum. They weren't thinking about that. They weren't thinking about, oh, you know, 2,200 years later, there might be some blogger in a basement who's really upset. We should have put this in a... We should put formaldehyde in again, formaldehyde. Like, you, they weren't thinking about that. They were thinking, man, this is great. i got to pass this on to my buddy. And so it got, they got passed around. They got worn out. But they also got copied thousands and thousands of times. And that's just the Greek copies. Also got translated into other languages early on. And if you start to add those up, now we've got like more than 15,000 early original fragments. And here's the part that's so fascinating. Let me see your eyes because I know, I, I know I'm doing nerd work. I, this is the New Testament. The Christian Bible has more early like documentation, more early fragments than any other document in human history. I mean, there are, there is more copies of the early parts of the New Testament than there is evidence of Rome or the, or the, or the Greek, the Greek myths. There are more copies of the Bible than any of that. So I realize its origin story isn't going to answer all of our questions. It's an entirely different category than any other ancient writing we have anywhere. Anywhere. And as Christianity grew, as it did incredibly in the first two, especially 300 years, even in the midst of severe persecution, by the early 300s, even in the midst of incredible persecution, there were, it was estimated that somewhere around 10% of the Roman Empire was now Christian. And then this pretty remarkable thing happened, and there's a lot of both pros and cons related to this, but an emperor named Constantine functionally converted to Christianity. We could talk about this a lot more because it, it, his, his story is actually pretty messy. But Christianity started to become the official uh, religion of the Roman Empire. And as it did, it started to become an organized religion. And so in the late 300s, one of the things that came up was we've got to figure out what the official books are of the Jesus story, what we know of as the New Testament or the, the Christian Bible, because there were all sorts of things that were being written about Jesus at the time. And so they, they held what's called the Synod of Hippo. Hungry, hungry hippo. I'm hungry for the word of God. Hippo, that'll help you remember it. If you, in case you're ever doing a church history class. Okay. <clears throat> the Synod of Hippo in, in AD 393, they got together all the bigwigs in the... Uh, in, in, the, in the church at the time, and they said, okay, we got to figure out what are the official books that are going to be part of the Christian Bible? What gets in and, and what doesn't? And as you would imagine, there's going to be a fair amount of debate, there's going to be a fair amount of back and forth, but 
Here's the thing you need to know. Is there were four, four criteria that they used. Let's put those up on the screen. First one is this. Do we know who the author is? Second one. Did that author have a direct connection to Jesus and or the apostles? So, for example, Luke. Luke wasn't one of the twelve, but he was a traveling companion of Paul. We should listen to uh, what he has to say in the Gospel of Luke. Third question. Is this book already being read as Scripture in the churches? And fourth. Is the central message consistent with the other books of Scripture? Is the, the core message basically the same? Because, and maybe you've wondered about this. Who, who remembers a um, few years back, there was, that, there was that book, The Da Vinci Code? Remember that? And there's the movie, all those things. And, and so uh, author Dan Brown, he, he made a big, big fuss about, um, you know, there's these secret books that are also about Jesus that had been hidden for all these years. Well, it makes for a great novel, but that's... He, he missed the point. You see, there's been all sorts of books written about Jesus. Jesus, we can take down the screen and thanks, guys. Um, there's been all sorts of books written about Jesus uh, over, over history. And there's a really good reason why a whole bunch of them didn't make the cut. Like, um, I'll, I'll give you one example. This is one actually that comes up in the Da Vinci Code. It um, talks about the Gospel of Thomas. So, supposedly written by... Thomas about Jesus. And there's actually some really interesting things to read in the Gospel of Thomas. It tells us what people in the 3rd century, because it was written somewhere in the 200s, the earliest fragments we have of it are about from 223, tells us what people in the 200s were thinking about Jesus. But because the earliest copies were in early in the 200s, about 220, 223, could it have been written by the Apostle Thomas? No. Why? Because he's dead. And he's been dead for a very, very long time. So do we know who wrote the Gospel of Thomas? Answer? No, because it couldn't have been Thomas. Did the author have a direct connection to the Apostles or Jesus? No, because we have no idea who the author is. Was the book already being read as scripture in the early church? The answer is no. The only reference we have to it from about 223, why we know it dates back to that point, is because there are church leaders writing about it saying this is not a true story of Jesus. It, it, the church leaders are saying don't read this book. It's not dependable. Now, thank God for libraries. These things are still being recorded. You can still read it. There's no conspiracy. Go find it. If you look up Gnostic Gospels, you'll see all sorts of books that didn't make the cut. And in every single case, there are really, really good reasons. The Gospel of Mary Magdalene, for example. Again, doesn't show up until, until the mid-200s. And um, it, this is where uh, Dan Brown makes a big deal about it in, in, in his novel. It's, a great, it's an interesting novel, not a great novel, but an interesting novel. But he glosses over this important part about the, the Gospel of Mary Magdalene. Is this book about 
supposedly Jesus and his relationship with Mary Magdalene says, among other things, that Jesus loved Mary so much that he turned her into a man. Now, is there any other biblical stories that relate to that? No. It's inconsistent with the rest of the messages of Scripture. Do we know the author? No. Do they have a connection to Jesus? No. So there's all sorts of wonderful things that have been written about Jesus, and a whole bunch of them aren't true. So in the Synod of, remember the name of the Synod? Hungry, hungry? Hungry, hungry hippo. I'm hungry for the word of God. In the Synod of Hippo was the first place where the Bible, as we know it, the New Testament, was canonized. Where early church gathered to say, these are books that tell a truthful, reliable account of who Jesus was and what he did. And churches all over the Christendom at that point were already reading these books, these letters, as authoritative, as helpful. And that's where we started to put all the pieces together. So that's the first thing that we love. I mean, well, so I already talked about maps. I love maps. The Bible is historically based, is geographically based. We can go to those places. Let me tell you the second thing I love about the Bible. This is total nerd work, and then we're going to get to some hard stuff, okay? Because I see your eyes starting to gloss over. Hang with me, okay? Second best thing about the Christian Bible is the footnotes. The footnotes, okay? So if you've got uh, 5,800 fragments of early manuscripts, what do you think are the odds that there might be a typo or two in there as copies are being made? And if you have spelling like mine, I can guarantee there were typos in there. And here's, here's one of the beautiful things about Christianity is that when there are minor discrepancies, and they really do come down to, for the most part, minor discrepancies about what word is being used here. Or there's a translational issue about what, what's the best way to translate this phrase. It only shows up once. and it's, Is we, we take footnotes. Do you have your paper Bibles? Okay, open them up. And look at almost any page in the New Testament. At the bottom of the page, what do you find? Yes. In your digital Bibles, they got your version Bible. Those are valid too. You're going to see all these words with little hyperlinks. And you, you push the button and it'll open up the footnotes. <laughs> and if you really get nerdy, and here's where I need one more close-up, Hunter. Okay. If you go to seminary and you learn and like in my case, reluctantly, to learn how to, how to read Greek. Okay. I don't, can, can, you, can you pull in this tight there? Okay. So here is, well, it's just, that's, well here, here's from, from the, somewhere in, the, in the, the Gospel of Mark, Katamarkon, Gospel of Mark. So you've got the, oh, it's hard to see, I know. Okay. So you've got all the Greek up here, all this lower section, all these lower sections, when there are minor variants, like minor spelling errors, it actually lists what manuscripts each, each is found in. So there's little symbols for like, for like, you know, which parchment, all those kinds of things. 
it ends up covering the thousands, thousands of copies that we have. So there's an entire school called textual criticism that helps us to get to the most early, most original version of the, of the Bible possible as we do our translation work from it. So, so for example, if, if you've got uh, 200 copies of Gospel of Mark and on this particular verse, there are, there are you know, there's two of, the, two of the manuscripts that spell a word a different way. There's a pretty good chance that those two are wrong. Or if you've got 200 versions of it and there are, and 130 of them are earlier than the rest of the copies that you have when you carbon date the stuff, the earlier ones are probably more accurate than the later ones. So there's an entire school, entire science of trying to, to help us get to as close as possible to the original writings of the apostles to the original writings to the original words of our savior jesus maps they're awesome footnotes they're awesome because christianity and the bible what we what we we hold to be the word of god it invites investigation it invites questions. There's no other religion like it that invites questions on this level. So here's why. Here's why we read the Bible. We can, we can trust its general historicity. We can, we can, we can trace the, the archaeological work that helps us to, to know that the translations that we have are accurate representations of the ancient documents. The ultimate reason why we read the Bible is because it helps us grow in our relationship with God. God who works through people over time, who, who inspires and leads and guides, who uses groups of people to discern and and, and he leads people as they seek him in truth together. God, God wants to be known. He wants to be known. And so over thousands of years, with multiple authors, he's inspired these words so that we can know his heart, so we can know his character, so we can know his desires and plans for us. It's not ultimately a rule book. It's a relationship book. And every relationship has some expectations that come along with it. Now, in the, in the case of our relationship with God, God is the one doing all the leading. God is the one extending love first. It's not about our perfection but he's got plans and desires for you. There's things he wants for you and for me and for us and in this incredible book. 
We get to know his heart. Get to understand how he defines right and wrong. How he defines success. How he defines the purpose of life. God wants to be known. So I hope that's helpful as a little bit of an overview. And I hope that'll also nudge us a bit. Like, to grow in our relationship, not just with God, but with God's Word. Um, many of you have started Bible reading plans. Um, we've got a wonderful group that's going through the Bible in a year called Bible Recap. Incidentally, um, Bible Recap, a uh, couple weeks ago, was the, the, the podcast for it was the number one podcast across all genres. Like, I mean, it was the number one podcast in America. Pretty cool. Apparently, there's a lot of people that are hungry for the Word of God to understand it better. And maybe that's you. Maybe this could be the year, if you've never read through the Bible, maybe this could be the year you read through, through it. So you're not just talking about some, some, some hypothetical thing that you've never actually looked at, but to actually go through it. Or to get into one of our connection groups. We're starting a bunch of new ones in a couple of weeks to like read it, talk about it, enter into the world of Scripture because God has something to say. To you, to me, to us. God wants to be known. God wants to be known. And he wants you to know him. And this book helps us do that. Helps us do that. Helps us to get to know who Jesus was. 